Our sermon text today comes from Acts um, chapter 17, starting in verse 16, and if you're following along, that um, is on the very bottom of page 1097 in the Pew Bibles. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men, raising him from the dead." When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. God, thank you so much that you are already in this place. You are everywhere we go. You meet us, and you draw us closer to you to know you more. 
Thank you that in you we live and move and have our being and that in you we have relationship whole and, and good. God, we ask that you would go before us now and um, prepare our hearts for the word you would have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in this passage, we see Paul in Athens, and he's caught the ears of some of those Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. Um, And this group of philosophers was not a very large part of the population, um, but they were elite, and they were wealthy and influential, so their ideas spread far and fast among the society in which they lived. And so they permeated all through kind of the culture of their towns. But these these philosophers really just sat around and talked about things. They just thought all the time. And among those things that they thought about um, were religions, uh, foreign and their own, um, and idols specifically idols, because in their culture and in their belief system, they really didn't understand living gods. They understood them as material beings. And further, they understood really everything as material beings, like souls. So humans were flesh, And souls also were material. So once a human was to die, there could be no resurrection because that material would be gone and and dead. It was there and it couldn't be raised again because it was there. Among other things, they also believed in deistic polytheism. So they believed in a lot of gods, many, many gods, but they understood these gods to have a very standoffish effect on the rest of the world. They, these gods didn't interact with humanity. In fact, these gods wanted to separate themselves from humanity and just let humanity and the rest of the universe be as it was. So there was no relation in between these things. And furthermore... These, these men had this pride in what they knew. They had a pride because this is what they talked about and what they dwelled on day after day. And so when foreigners came, they got to ask about these foreign gods and they got to learn about them and they'd just add it to their stores of knowledge. So it was no wonder that Paul, talking about religion, caught their ear but it caught them off guard because Paul was talking about the resurrection and if you're someone who believes that life ends because everything is material and the soul cannot be resurrected, then this makes a big problem. And nevertheless, they were intrigued and they wanted to have him join them for discussion. It was almost something they couldn't pass up. And so, of course, they were interested in what he had to say. 
and then Paul later calls them ignorant, actually right at the beginning of his speech, and I'm sure that caught a few ears. I'm sure at those words they wondered what he was thinking, um, but it was probably a very smart tactic. It got their attention. Now, their beliefs dwelled into, or mixed into larger society, so that kind of looked like a whole bunch of shrines all around the city. And the city had shrines to every god they could think of, gods that were foreign, gods that had just been introduced to them. When they would come up, they would find a god, they would try to get a, someone would get a shrine put up somewhere. Um, And the reasoning behind this was that even though they didn't really believe that the gods would interact with human life, they did believe that gods needed to be contented. And so these, these Athenians wanted a peaceful life. And that was kind of the end goal, because there's no resurrection. So their life, as they knew it, right then and there, was their goal. And to make that as joyful as possible, they wanted to have as little disruption as possible. And so around the city were all these shrines, and they put them up to as many gods as they could because they didn't want to anger anyone by leaving them out. So as soon as they heard about a god, we better put a shrine up because we don't want to make them mad. We want our continued peace. We want our our own life to be undisturbed. We want pleasure in our life. And we certainly don't want to bring destruction to our city just because we missed out on one of these gods. And as a bit of a fail-safe, they had shrines to unknown gods. Just because they thought, you know what? There are lots of gods that we probably don't even know about. So to make sure that everyone's included, we better put shrines to unknown gods just to be careful. And Paul caught on to that. And that grabbed Paul's attention and gave him a bit of an opening because... In Paul's experience, God is known. And that's my experience, too. In fact, reading through this this idol worship with these unknown gods who wanted no relationship and wanted nothing to do with humans and, and wanted to be far away and were only there to cause destruction, that's new to me. And I'm sure that's new to Paul, too. He knows a God who's the exact opposite of that. And so God, so Paul calls their attention and says, I know you're very religious, but let me tell you about this unknown God and let me make him known to you because that is what this God wants. This God does not want to be an unknown God like all the rest of these gods might. Let me tell you about what makes him a wonderful God to truly know. Now, Paul is pretty careful to just tell 
about this unknown God and make him known. And yet, in the words that he uses, in the same words that he uses to proclaim the hope of his living God, we also see some of the pain and the brokenness of these idols. We hear a sense of almost futility in this idolatry because there's a brokenness when it comes to having really nothing to live for beyond instantaneous pleasure. So you make it through life, and almost like what Duane was saying earlier, there's happiness sometimes. In fact, sometimes there's great happiness, but just as easily as it comes, it can go, and there can be great sadness. And if that's all you're living for, then there's really no joy. You're going from happy times to sad times, and then eventually you die, and there's nothing else to go beyond that. So there's this futility in the ultimate goal of idolatry, and at the same time, there's also the pain of broken relation. When I think of Christianity, when I think of God, I think of a God who created us for relationship with each other, with creation, with himself. And these idols wanted nothing to do with them. So there's this brokenness there and almost this uh, painful self-sufficiency. And in this also, Paul discredited all of the idols. He claimed what God was. He claimed God to be the maker of heaven and earth. He claimed God who was not crafted by human hands into stone or gold or silver, but who was the crafter of humans. And he created, or, and he proclaimed that God was in creation long ago and still interacted in humanity and in the universe and would be interactive in the judgment in ages to come in the resurrection. So now he's proclaimed a timeless living God who did not separate himself from the activities of humanity in the universe, and not just this timeless and living God, but all-powerful, the author of all parts of creation. And if he's the author of all parts of creation and of all of life, and who breathed life into all creatures, then by omission, we can decide that the idols are really unnecessary. He didn't have to say it. He only had to proclaim what God was. Now, as a culture who really was constantly trying to learn about new gods, they willingly provided a space for the unknown gods, if for no other reason than to content them. But then Paul corrects them, saying, No, this God does not need to dwell in temples. And he created us, and furthermore, he provides for us, not we for him. So it was all backward. It was backward from what they knew, the stuff that he was saying. No other God was like that. And we see that at the end of the passage, really some of them could not accept that. They could not understand this concept of the resurrection when they believed 
in this theory of all matter. And yet, personally, my mind lingers with those who did choose to accept his words, with Dionysius and Damaris, because I really can't stop smiling at how they must have felt when they were hearing these things about this unknown God. It was so different from what they knew. This one living God didn't even have the same demands that all these idols had. You see, these idols, you would have to worship them, and you would have to bring offerings to them, and you would have to maybe think about which idols you needed to go and see to keep your life remaining peaceful. But God didn't ask for this futile, continuing barrage of of, um, requirements. He just asked to be known. And so the thought of these followers kind of gets me thinking that even though we're separated by a couple thousand years and many, many miles and entirely different cultures, well, I kind of think that some of their spiritual journeys are very similar and ring a bell to us today. Um, We have idols. Maybe not the same kind. Uh, Maybe our idols are fame and power or money or, um, or an attitude. But we have idols today, and they affect us in the same way. There's a sense of futility when you're struggling with an idol because, sure, it brings you this momentary pleasure, but how long will that pleasure last when really God offers eternal joy? And yet, these idols capture our minds. I think back to the beginning of my own journey, and I, and I through the years, have gone through different idols and, and grown with God as he's led me through those processes. Um, but I think back to a time when I just came to faith, and... I was really obsessed with the idea of being a good enough person. And I carried that into my faith. Even after I became a Christian, I still carried that idea that I have to continue to be good enough so that God will continue to grant me grace, which is kind of a a contrary thought because grace is given and you don't have to be good enough, but that's where I was at. And it seeped into all these areas of my life, as idols tend to do. They tend to kind of just take over. Um, And I started thinking recently, well, these idols that the Athenians were, were dealing with, they constantly had to tend to them in order to keep them happy and to keep their pleasure going, and I realized I constantly had to tend to my own idols to make myself think I was worthy enough, um, which, which when I thought I was worthy enough, that was a pleasure to me. And it just got harder and harder and more circular until eventually I started taking my faith into my own personal life because I didn't at first. 
At first, I lived out my faith through Bible study with friends or through going to church, which is a great way to start. Um, But it wasn't until I started reading the word at home and started growing with God by myself that I started to realize more of who God was. And God started revealing himself to me. And I get joy in that because God wants to be known so much. Our God is the God who knows us, and he's the God who wants to be known, and that is so much more than any idol. Now, as I got to know God more and more, I saw this idol in my life, and I saw examples of how he could break that down. God showed me so many times how his grace was a gift to me and how I was worthy because he called me. And now I think that God shows examples of how he wants to be known more and more. So I was pretty good at religiousness um, and that did not include my own quiet time. And someone took me aside and told me about how I needed to have my quiet time. Um, And at first, reading my Bible was really, really great. And like I said, it helped me attack some of these idols in my life. But eventually, I needed to take a step further. So I started journaling. And it was really funny because things that I didn't necessarily learn from the word, God still taught me in my own journaling time, which was a strange concept to me. But as I sat quiet in my thoughts and and being artistic, I learned even more about God. Now, much like I was putting on this religious appearance, um, the people of Athens were doing the same thing. You see, they, they acknowledged this unknown God. They knew he existed, but in their hearts, there was this work to be done to know him, to move him from unknown to known. And that was um, this painstaking work of keeping these unliving idols happy was just to no avail. There was no reward and no relationship. Their only goal was to keep off the wrath and keep the disturbances out of their life. So imagine the strangeness and relief of being introduced to this God who could not be encapsulated in idle form and who also offered relationship, even beyond this offer of the resurrection and this promise of life that they're just learning about This God is offering relationship and the chance to get to know him and to interact with him. And that's something they hadn't had before. He went out of his way to be with us. And so Paul makes this known in verse 27. He said, God did these things so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's never far away from us. They had to appease their idols 
just to keep the disturbance away, and other than that, their idols wanted nothing to do with them. But the Bible is full of relations between God and people, and people and people. That's what it's about, really. In fact, there are so many often times where you see God giving people life through getting to know him. An example of that is from our reading today from Luke, from John 14. It says, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And later, because I live, you will also live. There are so many examples of God wanting to give life through this relationship and through getting to know each other deeper and more thoroughly. For me, when I was starting my journey, one of the most clear passages was the woman at the well. Um, Here was this woman who didn't want to be known, and so she came to the well at noon to avoid anybody else. And she tried to be hidden, but Jesus was there waiting for her, and he already knew who she was and what she had done. And he offered her the chance to know him and to drink the living water. There are so many examples of knowing and life, knowing and life, knowing of life, and God's word. And yet, I think that sometimes that's one of our key struggles in faith. Because we start to know God a little bit, and then maybe we reach a a stagnant point, a nice stop where we feel very comfortable. But God is always calling us constantly to know him more and granting us life-giving freedom through knowing him more, a a freedom that's so exciting um, and it's so invigorating to know when he reveals more of his character to us. But that's hard when we reach those those stagnant points, or it's hard when we have to go back, or it's hard when we're reading the word every day, but we feel like maybe we're not learning something so new right now. So I do like to do a lot of different spiritual practices. Sometimes, um, and the kids mentioned some of them, sometimes that's being silent, and sometimes that's reading the word, and that's going to church, and that's journaling, or art, or music, or any number of any spiritual practices that um, lots of people partake in. Uh, and yet this, this past Lent, I was really pleasantly surprised, um, and I love when God catches us off guard. Maybe that's another one of his characteristics that we get to know about him. Um, but at the beginning of Lent, I heard the song 10,000 Reasons, and I've heard it a million times before, but this time um, the line, 10,000 reasons for my heart to find, caught me. And that night, as I was journaling, I started writing a numbered list. And uh, I think, I mean, I know in my head I didn't really believe I'd get to 10,000 in a night. Um, And I promise I haven't. (laughs) Uh, 
but I was really intrigued by it and it was really exciting. And so the first day I wrote this list of all the reasons that my heart could think of right on that spot of why I praised God and what I knew about him. And as I looked over this list, it was so exciting to see what I knew about God and what he'd revealed to me about himself through these years. And so then the next day, I was rereading, and I thought of a whole bunch more, and that was exciting. So I wrote some more. And a few days later, I picked it up again, and I wrote some more. And then I got to this point where I couldn't really think of any one day, not anything different. And so I just switched it up, and I decided, you know what? Then today, I'm just going to meditate for a while, and I'm not even going to think about this list. And God revealed himself some more. Um, I'm not about to get to 10,000 reasons anytime soon. And I'm almost positive that before I get anywhere close to that number, God will have moved in me in a different way, and I'll probably abandon the list. But for right now, this is an exciting spiritual practice that is going on in my life. And so I kind of want to take a moment before we finish up here to ask, where are you at in your getting to know God? I wonder, are there any idols in your life that are keeping you back? So an idol is something that obstructs our, our process of getting to know God more. And maybe if that doesn't fit, then I wonder, are you doing any new spiritual practices that are engaging you and, and encouraging you to get to know God more? Or has anything exciting happened in your walk that took you by surprise? I think we should take just a moment to think about these things because my challenge is that we try and meet God in a new and different way sometime this week. So if you're a person who doesn't like to particularly draw but thinks that you could meet God in that way, maybe that's a great start. Or if you're a person who um, doesn't meditate but you think that God could speak to you in that way, that might be a great start too. Um, however God is trying to, to meet you in this, I would encourage you to take up that challenge this week. But right now, as we take a moment of silence, just think of where he may be calling you or what he may be revealing you to you in this. We'll take just a minute right now, and then we'll pray. Dear God, thank you for, for knowing us thoroughly. 
Thank you for meeting us where we are and challenging us to always get to know you better. Thank you that you are so complex, so incredible, and so amazing beyond our wildest imagination that it will take you every single day of the rest of our lives to reveal bits of yourself to us and we'll still not get the entire picture. Thank you for how incredible you are. We ask that you would meet us this week, that you would challenge us in new ways, and that you would surprise us and, and show us this joy of meeting you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.